Well, we are in the midst of a series of messages based on uh, the doctrines of the Christian faith. Uh, it's called Doctrine Matters. And we're doing this series because many Christians do not even know what they believe. They think they do and might be able to say a few uh, catchphrases here or there in trying to explain what they believe, but, uh, but truly uh, articulating what they believe, not necessarily able to do that. Uh, because many Christians have allowed themselves to drift into theological complacency, and uh, they've been lulled into doctrinal slumber, so to speak. Many Christians today do not know the Bible very well at all, and consequently, they don't know what the Bible teaches, and nor do they know what the church has articulated what the Bible teaches over the centuries. And uh, progressive Christians have risen to prominence in many denominations and have even denied or downplayed the historic doctrines of the church. So I think it's important that we refresh the knowledge of historic Christian doctrines, that we reclaim our theological and doctrinal heritage. So far in this series, we've looked at the Trinity, we've looked at Jesus, we've looked at the resurrection, the Holy Spirit, and last week we looked at Scripture. Today we're going to examine a doctrine that is somewhat controversial. It's free will. Our brothers and sisters from the Reformed traditions dispute this doctrine, but we Wesleyans affirm that human beings have free will, that we are more than just puppets in a puppet show putting on, put on by God, that our choices are truly our choices and they are freely made, and thus the consequence of our choices are, right, are rightly suffered. There is a controversy, though, in the church. Let's look at that. Calvinism, the theological school that follows John Calvin, a French theologian and pastor who lived in the 1500s, taught a lot of excellent things, really did. But he also taught the notion of predestination that says essentially that human beings are predestined by God to either salvation or damnation. And there isn't anything that, that one can do to change what God has predestined. So if one has, predestined, has been predestined to hell, there, there isn't anything they could do to attain salvation. And if one is predestined to heaven, there isn't anything that they could do to lose their salvation. The doctrine of predestination does a lot to emphasize the sovereignty of God, that God is completely and ultimately powerful and authoritative. And, but the doctrine diminishes the role that humans play in salvation history. John Wesley taught that humans were free agents and that we have the ability to choose the ways of God or to reject the ways of God. That far from being pawns on a chessboard with no recourse to the will of the chess player, human beings are created in the image of God and a major element in that image of God is freedom. Freedom to choose whether or not we will obey the commandments of God and follow Jesus. Because one of the commandments that God gives us is that we love him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, it's remarkable that love for God has been commanded. Because true love cannot be coerced or forced. It must be offered freely in order to truly be love. If it were something that we could not resist and that we could not reject, 
then it wouldn't be truly love. Wesley also held that left alone, we are incapable of choosing God's will over our own. Calvin called that total depravity, that sin is hardwired into our DNA, that human beings in our fallen state are not free to choose. But Wesley offered uh, an alternative way of thinking. He actually borrowed a teaching by Jacobus Arminius uh, of the late 1500s when he put forth the solution to to total depravity. It is prevenient grace. Prevenient is from an archaic English, and it means anticipating or coming before or preceding. Sometimes it's called preventing grace. But it is God's grace that precedes any choice that we make. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit given to all human beings, and it enables a person to make a free choice. It gives the freedom by overcoming total depravity. In John Wesley's sermon on working out our own salvation, he stated that prevenient grace elicits the first wish to please God, the first dawn of light concerning his will, and the first slight transient conviction of having sinned against him. It's that prevenient grace that nudges us or that opens that vista for us to see uh, how we have sinned and how God has acted uh, to resolve the problem of sin. Prevenient grace is what enables us to obey the scriptures, like the scriptures that Trevor read for us, Joshua 24, 15. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. It's it's hard to understand how God could command these things, how God could direct these things, how God could say these things if we are not free to respond one way or the other. If we're locked in, to either salvation or damnation, as Calvin would say, then there isn't anything that we could do. So why would God say that and, 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 and elicit what kind of response from us? That's, that's the, the problem. From our doctrine uh, in our Book of Discipline, from the Confession of Faith of the Evangelical United Brethren Church, which you remember merged with the Methodist Church in 1968 to form the United Methodist Church, this from Article 7, Sin and Free Will, it says this, We believe man is fallen from righteousness and apart from the grace, prevenient grace, of our Lord Jesus Christ is destitute of holiness and inclined to evil. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In his own strength, without divine grace, man cannot do good works, pleasing and acceptable to God. We believe, however, man, influenced and empowered by the Holy Spirit, prevenient grace, is responsible in freedom to exercise his will for good. And from the Articles of Religion of the Methodist Church, Article 8 of Free Will, it says this, the condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and works to faith and calling upon God. Wherefore, we have no power to do good works, pleasant and acceptable to God, without the grace of God, prevenient grace, by Christ preventing us 
that we may have a good will and working with us when we have that good will. So, there we are. It's true that God knows every choice that we have made and every choice that we will make because God dwells in the eternal realm while we dwell in the temporal realm. We are bound by time. God is not. So God knows every choice we will ever make and that we have ever made. And that is where predestination or predetermination comes in because God knows what choices we will make. But from our perspective, we make those choices freely in time, exercising our own free will. From our perspective, free will is truly free. From God's perspective, he knows what free choices we will make, and he allows us to make them and to suffer any consequences of those choices. Because ultimately, it's about love. God created us in his image. He created us to love him and to love one another. Without freedom not to love him and others, there can be no genuine love. And so we believe that we have the freedom to choose love or to choose to not love. Otherwise, what sense would it make for God to command us to love him? Now, this doctrine is very, very complex, and I could go on and on. We could, we could spend all day. <laughs> In fact, uh, uh, there are many, many, many books written about the, the uh, free will predestination controversy. But it gives you a taste of something of the, uh, the Wesleyan answer to, uh, to this challenge by uh, the Reformed tradition. Um, so I invite you and I encourage you to do further study on free will and predestination and find ways to um, have it make sense for you in your spiritual walk. Next week, we'll continue this series on Doctrine Matters with a look at the sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion. I invite you to read Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 42, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. That's Acts 2, 38 to 42, and 1 Corinthians 11, 25 to 27. There's also an Advent study coming up this year. Um, I'm happy to uh, let you know. It's called the Christian New Year, and it's going to be a part daily devotions and part sermon series. And also, if there's enough interest, we will gather once a week to discuss the readings and uh, further the topic. So watch your email this week. It'll be coming out soon with details about this uh, Advent series, The Christian New Year. And we'll begin that on November the 29th, which is coming up in just a, uh, a few weeks away. What is it, two weeks, three weeks away? Indeed.